Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to Thrive Church. We are so happy to have you here. Are you excited about what God is doing in your life this week? Man, God is doing some amazing things, and as we are getting close to this Easter uh, holiday, the celebration of Jesus' resurrection, you know, my prayer is that our hearts will be focused on Him and what He has done for us, and we are celebrating Palm Sunday uh, this week, but we want to invite you as well uh, to come to our Easter services, and, you know, we are in our series uh, miracle worker, and this is because I believe that that God is a God who is still doing miracles. He's still doing miracles in this world. He's still doing miracles of healing and provision. And and today, though, I want to look at a very uh, specific person who had a lot of faith. You know, who in the New Testament had the greatest amount of faith? If if we were to to look and say, you know, who, who had the most faith? In the New Testament, some names that might come to mind would be uh, Peter. You know, of course, he walked on the water. I mean, that was a, a pretty amazing act of faith. Or, or there was these, these four friends who had a, a paralyzed friend, a lame friend, and they took him on a mat, and they went to somebody's house uh, where Jesus was speaking. The only problem was, was they showed up too late, and everybody was already there. If you've ever gone to a party or an event, and you're outside, and they're like, how do we get in? So they decided to commit uh, an act of vandalism, and they climbed up on the roof. They, they cut a hole in the roof, and they lowered their friend down. They took a lot of faith to lower their friend down in front of Jesus. Maybe maybe another person who had a lot of faith was a thief on the cross, and, and in his dying moments, he called out for mercy from Jesus. So who had the most amount of faith? You know, in the New Testament, as we study the life of Jesus, we don't really see him complimenting people's faith very often. In fact, we usually see him reprimanding people for their lack of faith, especially his his closest followers, his disciples. It seems like, like they've seen miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle, and he's saying, oh, ye of little faith. Oh, ye ye of little faith. In fact, the story we talked about last week, Jesus calming the storm. And and Jesus is in the boat, and the storm is raging, and and the disciples are are panicking, and they wake Jesus up, and he stands up and says, Peace, be still. He calms the wind and the waves. And then he turns right to his buddies and says, Why don't you have any faith? After all you've seen, miracle after miracle. We see this in... In Matthew 17, verse 20, he's telling them, he says, you don't have enough faith, Jesus told them. I, I can just sense the exasperation in his tone. You don't have enough faith. He says, I tell you the truth. If you had faith even as small as a mustard seed. I got some mustard seeds here. Get one. Oh, wow. I got a bunch of them. Here, I'm just going to get one. Oh, they're everywhere now. Oh, boy. Okay. Can you guys see this? How about now? Can you see it? (laughs) I mean, this thing's tiny. They're all over the place up here. He says, even if you have faith, like this tiny, tiny mustard seed that's just here in my hand, I I have no way of even showing you. You just have to trust by faith that I actually have one, okay? You're going to have to have a little bit of faith in me. They're, They're small, okay? He says, if you have faith, even as a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, move from here to there. And it would move. 
nothing would be impossible. Do we have some mountains in our life that we would like to see moved? Mountains of, of difficulty, mountains of sickness, mountains of, uh, of financial problems. He says if you had faith even as tiny as this little mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, move from here to there and it would be done. Nothing would be impossible. We see elsewhere in Scripture that without faith it is impossible to please God. Do you want to please God? I mean, clearly we, we come together to church, we worship Him, we praise His name, we read Scripture because we want to please God, but it says that without faith it is impossible to please God. As we're studying miracles, we often see a direct correlation between faith and miracles. That usually miracles don't happen where there is not first faith. Are we walking in faith? Are we walking a life of faith? Are we living a life that pleases God by our faith? If you're taking notes, those who walk in faith will see the miraculous. If you want to see miracles happening in your life and in your world, then we need to walk in faith. Walking in faith of Jesus Christ our Lord. Walking in faith of God that we serve a miracle-working God. So today as we study some miracles, we're going to be looking at a man of great faith. This was not Elijah who called down fire from heaven. This is not Daniel who went to a den of lions. This wasn't Moses who parted the Red Sea. This was another person who had unwavering faith. They had mustard seed faith, mountain-moving faith. And this man said and did things that Jesus found amazing. And I feel like if something amazes Jesus, then it's worth our investigation. It's worth us looking into if it, if it amazes Jesus. And here we see the story in Luke 7, 1. It says, after Jesus finished saying all these things to the people who were listening, he went into Capernaum. Now, Capernaum was a, a small city on the Sea of Galilee, and it was the headquarters for Jesus' ministry. Many of the disciples that Jesus recruited was from Capernaum, in fact, we, we think that Peter probably lived there, and that could have even been like their base where they were, were going out from this area. He was regularly preaching in Capernaum. He did many miracles in Capernaum. This was a very prominent city, this Capernaum, but it was also under Roman rule. Romans had taken over Israel, and this was one of the towns that they had taken over, and it was a prominent town. Many people would travel to and through Capernaum, and so they would charge these people coming in and out of town, they would charge them taxes in order to come through, and this increased the wealth of Capernaum. They would hire Jews to take these taxes and collect them and pay them to the Roman government. They could inflate the prices if they wanted to and make a little bit extra for themselves. And this is where Jesus most likely found Matthew in Capernaum collecting taxes for the Romans here. It says in Luke 7, 2, that a centurion's servant who was valuable to him was sick and about to die. A centurion. A centurion was, was a Roman soldier, but not just any Roman soldier. He was, he was a leader. He was an officer. 
He was also a Gentile, which meant that he was not of Jewish descent. He was part of the occupying force in the area. He was sent there to help maintain order. He was a centurion. He was a commander of around 100 soldiers who would be directly accountable to him. He was wealthy. Most centurions would get paid around five times the annual salary of a normal Roman soldier. In order to become a centurion, he had to be a master of every fighting skill taught to the Roman soldiers because he would also be responsible for training and equipping them. He had to have the ability to inspire his men, had to be at least 30 years old, and had to serve for a number of years as a soldier himself before getting promoted to the title of centurion. Most importantly, though, a centurion had to be literate, had to be able to read and write. The reason for this is because they would need to obey orders immediately. They would get couriers that would bring orders written confidentially in scrolls, and the centurion would have to open it up, read it, and then dictate this to his forces. Being a centurion came with social status, and they held very high and powerful positions in society. So here's the centurion, but he has a servant. Now, if you look at this word servant, it, it actually means a little child, probably a boy, a young boy. Some people speculated it could have even been the centurion's son, but there was a problem with that because Roman soldiers were not allowed to marry while they were in service being a soldier. So it would have been something that they would have kept hidden. We don't know if this was his son or just a servant. However, this child most likely is sick. So here, the centurion hears about Jesus in verse 3. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servants. When they came to Jesus, they begged him earnestly, saying, he is worthy of having you do this for him. Now, why would they say something like that? You know, Jews oftentimes would not socialize with Gentiles, people who were not of their national descent. They would not socialize with the invading forces of Rome. And yet these Jewish elders are coming on behalf of the centurion and they're saying, really, it's okay we want you to go and see him because in verse 5, he loves our nation and he even built our synagogue for us. So he was financially well off, so much so that he built a synagogue for the Jews to worship their God in. He was very likely intrigued by their faith and by their beliefs. And he, he was kind to the Jews. So the Jewish leaders are now vouching for this centurion. But the centurion, he sends them ahead on his behalf. Now, if you read this account in Matthew, it says that he actually showed up. And, and, and there's a little bit of a difference in the story there. And most people assume that it's because Matthew was condensing the story and, and was saying, well, these people were coming on his behalf. So it was as if he was there. And we don't exactly know all the details of that. But here in Luke, it's saying that he's sending them on, on ahead. And this actually makes the most sense in the context of this story. So he sends these Jewish leaders. Now, I don't know if the centurion 
was, was too busy, but most likely, as we'll see later, he sent them out of respect for Jesus. He knew that there were certain stereotypes that many people would have of the Roman soldiers. So these Jewish leaders come, and they're trying to convince Jesus to come and heal the servants of this centurion. Normally, they wouldn't socialize with them because they were oppressors and the taxes. Many of these Roman soldiers were immoral and ungodly people, and yet we see that Jesus went along, and he was headed to the house of the centurion. In verse 6, it says, Jesus went with them, and when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends. So he first sends some, some Jewish leaders to come and invite Jesus to come to his house. But now we see the centurion is sending another messenger to Jesus. He sends friends to tell Jesus this. He says, Lord, do not trouble yourself because I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. I mean, here's a Roman centurion. I mean, th these people were, were proud, they were highly regarded, and yet he's saying to Jesus, I don't deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not consider myself worthy to even come to you in person. But say the word, underline those three words, say the word. It says, but say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I am also a man placed under authority, having soldiers under me, and I say to this one, go, and he goes. And to another one, I say, hey, come over here, and he comes. And to my servant, I say, do this, and he does it. So Jesus is accepting the invitation of this centurion. He's going there to perform a miracle, to heal the servant, and these other people come along, these messengers show up. Now, the centurion was used to telling people what to do. You know anybody like that, that likes to tell other people what to do? That's what the centurion was doing. He was telling people what to do. First, he told the Jewish leaders, go and find Jesus. Then he says, these other people should go and tell them not to bother coming. He's telling them what to do. He was used to having his orders be followed. Not only would people follow his orders, but he would follow the orders of those over him. Orders would come to him, he would read them, obey them, issue them out, and they would be obeyed as well. Many people, when they're facing physical sicknesses, diseases, they would travel for miles, sometimes thousands of miles on pilgrimages to go to a place that they think is holy and that may offer special healing powers. Some people will travel to see someone that they think has the ability to offer special healing powers, but this man's faith exceeded them all because he says, I don't even want to go there. It took humility for him to say, I'm not going to go in the presence of this rabbi. It took humility. You know, this man, he could have thought very highly of himself. He was serving, after all, as a centurion in the greatest empire the world had known. He was a Roman soldier. He was a centurion. He could have been proud. He could have went and demanded Jesus to come, and yet he did not feel worthy even to have Jesus come to his own home. It took a certain level of humility. And he recognized in Jesus 
something that he found in himself. He recognized authority. He realized that Jesus was a man of authority. In your notes, Jesus has authority over all things. Did you know that Jesus has authority over the wind, over the waves, over sickness and disease? And, and the centurion understood the power of a word. He knew the power that words could hold in them. And now he is communicating with the one who has the power to speak life into inanimate objects, to speak life into those who are dead. He is speaking with the one who has authority over all things. Because he too is under authority. He understands how authority works. He gets a letter and he obeys it. And he realizes that the power is in the command. That the power is in the words. And he's thinking to himself, just as I tell a staff member to go and do something and they do it, you don't actually have to be there yourself to get something done. He realizes that there's power in words. Do we know the power of a word? Do we know the power of the word of Jesus Christ? So he comes up with an idea. An idea that no one else even realized was an option. See, up until this point, Jesus had been physically present for every miracle that he had performed. He was there touching people, laying hands on people, spitting on their eyes for crying out loud. But he was there each and every time. He was present. Everybody knew if they wanted a miracle to happen, they had to go and see Jesus. Even the woman with the issue of blood said to herself, if only I can touch the hem of his garment, then I can be healed. No one knew that you could get a miracle any other way. This was unprecedented. And yet this outsider this outsider had the audacity he had the the naivety the stupidity if you would to come up with this shocking idea that maybe jesus doesn't even need to be physically here in order to do the miracle everyone must have been chuckling a little bit when the second group of messengers came and said you know what don't even bother coming because we think Jesus can do it right from there. Everybody must have been chuckling, saying, this guy clearly doesn't understand how miracles happen. That, that's not how it works. Jesus needs to be there and be present and put his hand on something. But this centurion knew something that they didn't know. He had more faith than they did. He had faith in something that seemed unlikely. It's like I, I've taught a number of people how to to rock climb and rappel over the years. And, and, and this, this rope, um, you know, it, it, it's not particularly, you know, big around, but, but it has the strength in it to hold you. Now, how many of you trust that this rope can hold you? Anybody here trust? Okay. Most of you are kind of marginally trusting that this rope can hold you. In fact, when we're at the bottom of the cliff, just about everybody I've always taught says, yes, I trust that the rope holds me. And then we go to the top and begin to rappel 100 feet over the edge. And as you're going, your faith in this rope begins to dwindle. You know, I I've seen people, grown adults, and they're up there terrified. And they're trying to hang on for dear life. And I'm like, just, just trust the rope. It's going to hold you. Uh, but, but it's just too small. I wish it was a lot thicker. And, 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 and our faith, our faith starts lacking when we actually have to put our, put our weight on it. See, the centurion, he had a lot at stake here. 
someone that he loved and cared about was sick and potentially dying. And yet he said, I'm going to go all in. I'm going to go all in on this idea that, that Jesus can heal even if he's not right here. See, he trusted the power of words, and he knew that he could trust someone when they said they would do something. He knew what authority was. Maybe he had even read this verse before that maybe some of the other people had overlooked. This verse in Psalm 107, verse 20. says that he sent out his word and healed them, snatching them from the door of death. This prophetic word is saying that God has the power with a word to heal someone. And so he realizes the power of Jesus' words. In your notes, when you embrace the words of Jesus, it invites the power of God. When we embrace the words of Scripture, when we embrace the words that God has given to us, we realize that God's power can now move. See, God's word has authority. God's word has power. Continuing on in Luke 7, verse 9, it says, When Jesus heard these things, he was amazed at him. Underline that. He was amazed at him. Jesus here, he had been ministering, he had been preaching, he had been doing miracles, but it says that he was amazed. He turned to the crowd, he stopped there, he turned to the crowd following him and said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And when the men who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. Isn't that amazing? See, see this guy, he took a leap of faith. He took a step and said, maybe, maybe Jesus can heal him, even if he's not physically here. And they went back, and he was healed at that very moment. See, this person claimed something. He called something. He realized authority when he saw it. And Jesus was amazed. Now, if God is omnipresent, he's, you know, that means he's with us all the time. He's omniscient, meaning that he knows all things. He's omnipotent, meaning he's all-powerful. He must be pretty hard to impress, right? Like, like, like it must be difficult to impress. It's like, like a kid trying to impress you, you know, as they're, as they're walking, as they're trying to jump off things, right? I'm like, hey, mom, look at this. Hey, dad, look at this. Like, they're trying to impress. And, and imagine what it takes to impress the creator of the universe, Anyone, anything that can amaze the creator is something that we should take note of. And Jesus, he's amazed. He's amazed that this guy, this Gentile, not even a Jew, that he understands something that even his closest followers do not get. They do not understand this. And Jesus is amazed. Because sometimes great faith can be found in the most of unexpected places. And the people you think unlikely to have great faith, we can often find great faith. And the reverse may be true as well. We might not find faith in the places that we expect to. Many people who call themselves Christian, following Jesus, in fact, their lives do not demonstrate great faith. Because without action, our faith is dead. And this centurion was willing not only to have great faith, but to put the faith into action. Because in your notes, God wants us to have a bold and daring faith. A faith 
that can move mountains. The faith like a mustard seed. Faith that can say, hey Jesus, you don't even need to come. All you need to do is say the word and I believe that my servant will be healed. And Jesus says, yeah, you know what? I can do that. Not a problem. I can do that. He must have been overjoyed. Everybody's continually coming and and asking for miracles and signs and wanting to touch him and wanting him to touch them and wanting him to lay hands and wanting him to feed them. And here is someone says, no, I don't even need to see you because I trust you. I believe you. Nobody else has ever asked this before. Jesus is like, but sure, sure, why not? I'll do it because you have the faith. In James chapter 1, verse 6, it says, but when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Where is our faith today? Is our faith truly in God and in God alone? Be sure, but when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver, for a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as the wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Where is our faith? Many of us here are coming with great expectation, or shall I say great need, for a miracle. We have a need. We have a desire. But do we have faith? Do we have faith like a grain of mustard seed? Or is our faith wavering like something tossed in the sea? It says such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. And here the centurion is saying, just say the word. Because there is power in the words of God. There is power in the words of the Messiah. There's power in the words of Jesus Christ, our Lord. And we have faith in the word of God. And through that faith, this servant was healed. And a house of pain was turned into a house of praise. A house that was preparing possibly for a funeral was now having a party. And if you want to see Jesus do some miraculous things in your life, we first need to realize his mastery and lordship over the situation, that he is greater and stronger and more powerful, realizing that Jesus and Jesus alone is the supreme master of all. But faith, faith is where it's at. The final thing in your notes, that faith comes before the miracle. Many people, you know what they'd say to Jesus? Show us a sign, and then we'll believe. Give us food, and then we'll believe. Heal the sick, and then we'll believe. But the centurion, he took the opposite approach. He says, I believe, and then he saw the miracle. See, faith comes before the miracle. Do we have a faith that can impress God? Do we have a faith that amazes God? Do we have a faith that that God will answer our prayer? And where do we get this faith? Faith comes from hearing and hearing the word of God. Because God's power flows to men and women of great faith. And God's power flows through men and women of great faith and God wants us to come to him with the faith of the centurion the faith for the impossible the faith for healing the faith for restoration the faith for freedom the faith for forgiveness the faith for provision and this faith will unleash the supernatural in our lives so father we come to you in Jesus name we come to you asking you to increase our faith. Lord, give us faith even like a mustard seed, but water it 
and fertilize it and let it grow so that we can have the faith that moves the mountains. So that we can have the faith to receive all that you have promised to us. Let us wholeheartedly put our faith in you and in Jesus Christ our Lord. Even let us irresponsibly put our faith in Jesus Christ our Lord. Maybe everybody says, look, this is not wise how much you're trusting in God. But let our faith be that. That it astonishes those who see it. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus is your Lord. Won't you call on his name? Scripture says that anyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. Won't you call on his name now? Call on his name for forgiveness. Call on his name for deliverance. Call on his name for freedom. Say, Jesus, you are my Lord. Lord, increase our faith now. Increase our faith. Let us see miracles happen. Let us see sick become healed. Let us see Lame walk, the blind see, addictions broken, relationships restored, hearts healed, shame forgotten. Lord, let us see you work in a powerful way. Bring forgiveness, bring healing into our land. And we trust you. We put our faith in you. Just say the word and we will be healed. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together. Thanks for joining us today. If you'd like to learn more about our church, you can go and visit us at www.thrive.church. If you're ever in the area, we'd like to invite you to come and join us. Also, if you enjoy the podcast, we encourage you to leave a rating, review, share with your friends and family. Until next time, may you grow deeper in God's word each day.